0: Welcome to First Fleet 10-4. And before we get started in sharing the history of First Fleet, we want to take a moment to honor the life and passing of our founder and president, Mr. Gary Wilson. Gary was well known and loved by many in the trucking industry. He will be greatly missed, but we would like to honor him by telling the history of First Fleet. Many of us have fond memories of his leadership and kind spirit, With our core values in place, we hope to continue his legacy and honor his contributions.
1: Hello and welcome to the First Fleet 10-4 podcast. I am Austin Henderson. I'll be your host today. And I'm Rebecca Wilson. And today we are going to speak with some of the leaders from the organization. We have David Beeney and Daniel Piper here. Earlier this week, a driver, a longtime driver, 25, I think, plus years, Jesse Wisner, came by the office. And he was telling stories, and it reminded us that there's a bunch of folks in the organization who've been here for a long time, but there's also a lot of folks that are new to the organization. And some of those folks that have been around for a while know the history, they know the stories, they know. Uh, the culture of First Fleet. They know the Wilson family, maybe even personally. And as a result of that, they know how the organization operates. And um, we also thought it'd be great to get together with some leaders and um, bring some new folks into that story so that they might be able to participate in it as well. So uh, we'll start with uh, David. David, if you would tell us maybe a little bit about yourself and kind of inform folks listening about you.
2: Well, I've been at First Fleet for 28 years. Uh, married for 16 to my wife Susan. I'm a third-generation St. Louis Cardinal baseball fan, and just as soon as this pandemic gets by, I'm, I'll be the first one in line to go back to uh, to see live baseball. I enjoy playing golf, even though I play it really poorly. I do some volunteer work here in the Middle Tennessee area for the Second Harvest Food Bank. Uh, food and food distribution has always been a big part of what First Fleet does, and I've been able to help on an advisory board for them in terms of helping distribute food to uh, folks in our area who are uh, who are insecure as far as where their food's going to come from.
0: That's
1: good. I've known you for a long time, and I've played golf with you, and I can say he's a better golfer than I am, that's for sure. There was one time, which he might not remember, which I almost killed him on the golf course. We'll probably leave that discussion for another day. <laughs> uh, I also have uh, always appreciated the fact that you are uh, concerned and, and care about those that are less fortunate, and so... Uh, thanks for that. Appreciate it. Uh, Daniel, Daniel, why don't you tell us a little about yourself?
3: Well, I uh, grew up in, in Lexington, Kentucky, and uh, uh, spent, spent my early years there. Graduated U- University of Kentucky and uh, came to, to Tennessee shortly thereafter. And I'm married and wife of uh, 32 wonderful years. Uh, two, two daughters and a son and uh, one, one granddaughter now. And uh, Enjoy all sorts of water sports and and uh, just doing doing things with the kids. But
1: uh, so, are you actually a grandpa or a grampy
3: or paps? I, I am a, a grandpa now. Grandpa, yeah. yes. That's yes. what your name. That's what you're going by. Well, actually, they're trying to call me pappy. So we'll see. We'll see if it sticks. <laughs> okay. <laughs> there's a there's a long story behind that one too, but we'll save that for another day. All right, David, you've been here 28 years, and Daniel, you've been here
1: 31 years. Both of you, if my recollections are correct, were hired by. Gary Wilson, and um, so I think you guys are perfectly qualified to tell us a little bit about the history and tell us a little bit about the early days of First Fleet. David, you want to start us off?
2: Sure. My history with Gary Wilson actually goes back prior to First Fleet. Before he started up First Fleet, he and I both worked for a truck leasing company who had a division that did dedicated contract carriage. That's really kind of how the dedicated contract carriage industry got started was an, as an offshoot of, of truck leasing companies. Well, the family-owned truck leasing company that we worked for decided that they were going to cash out and sell out to another entity, and um, the new company made it clear to me and probably less clear to Gary that we had limited opportunities with them, and if we did have any opportunities at all, we were going to have to relocate, and that wasn't too attractive to either one of us. So we kind of went our separate ways, and Gary decided to uh, stay in the dedicated business and start up a company of his own. And he's fond of of telling the story that you know when he first he was looking around whether he was going to take a job with another with other companies or whether he was going to start up on his own, and he decided that he would give it a shot. He knew the dedicated business; he thought it was a good business and a good opportunity for him. He likes to say when he first started up, he had no customers. No trucks, no trailers, no employees, no anything. Well, actually, one employee himself, but he wasn't getting paid. So he started off with nothing from the ground up. He had a couple of friends who put, uh, I think, uh, I think they all pulled together maybe ten or fifteen thousand dollars to start the company up, and it was off and running.
1: So, Daniel, can you tell us a little bit about some of the early customers that Gary was able to acquire? What kind of business did we? What kind of business were we doing? What were we hauling? What sort of industries were we servicing?
3: Sure. Early on, I know, uh, and this was shortly before I came, uh, Gary had put on a couple trucks there in Bolivar, Tennessee, with a, a tanning company running uh, hides up to to New York for for uh, uh furniture and 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 whatnot and uh he also had a little company called cabin art uh, which was a cabinet making company out of nashville we had one to two trucks that were running for for those folks hauling cabinets and uh and then uh he got into the, the his first endeavor with the paper uh, uh business with mcmillan blowdell in in nashville and that's what kind of set the course for for getting us into the the paper industry as many of you have seen the all the consolidations in the last 10 to 15 years but uh, those were some of the the early customers and in uh, you know what what set us up really to to grow uh again kind of back to the, the cobalt days was uh gary started up with cobalt the peyton bluffton facility new in in uh, 1983 about three years before um uh, First Fleet evolved. So he had a relationship with Kroger, which later set us up to, uh, to start with Cleveland, uh, Tennessee, the patents facility there. And that's, that's when we started to see quite a bit of growth. And so that's, that's, you know, kind of how we got started. Some of the, some of the early customers with, with uh, First Fleet that got us started.
2: I wanted to add one to that is, obviously, as you can imagine, starting up a new company from scratch, you're trying to find whatever customers you can find. Absolutely. And one of our uh, one of the opportunities that Gary identified early on, and we did some business with, was a company that hauled automotive parts. And we did that for a little while. Uh, lots of ups and downs. Company that we were doing business with did transportation for the automotive companies, but obviously wasn't related to them. They ended up going out of business. Uh, leaving us with an uncollected amount uh, from them of over $100,000, which at the time and the size of the company was a pretty big deal. So Gary decided pretty much from that point on, and I've heard him say it a million times, is that he wanted a company that would do business with people who either manufactured or distributed things that people needed, not necessarily things that people wanted. He felt like that... If he stayed true to that, you know, he he might not be as flashy a company as other folks, but it would be a steady operation. Uh, it would be a company that would stay busy all year round and all the time. And you know, coming through some of the things that we've experienced here in the last few months, and even are experiencing now, that was a decision early on that's, you know, that that's really played out well for us and. And been a, a great decision for all the people in the company. Yeah,
1: I mean, that's the foresight with that is is really, to be honest with you, quite amazing. Especially coming through this most recent round that we've we're in the middle of still, but um, you know our business has remained steady, and that is um, I'm I'm really grateful for that. I think that's an excellent excellent call out.
0: So in those early days, I know um, when Daniel let off those customers, I remember being here and doing payroll and billing for those customers that have, you know, grown into other customers today. Uh, Daniel, give us uh, your side of the story about some of those um, startups and uh, customers.
3: Well, early on, I know in in the first few customers, and and again, I, I was not with the company when it first started in 1986, but I know just about everything was run out of a small little office here in Murfreesboro. And then in, in 1987, when uh, when we picked up the the Peyton's Cleveland account, which was a, a sizable account at that time, I think we were going to run uh, about 40 trucks. It, it started out with 25, but quickly went to 40, 45 trucks, and uh, it, it pretty much started on a on a yellow tablet and a, and a pencil and, and, uh, um, you know, Gary was dispatching out of the Holiday Inn. We didn't have a, our, our shop built yet or our office yet. So Gary would be at the Holiday Inn and, uh, trucks were, were parked out in the parking lot. Drivers would come in, knock on uh, the hotel door. Gary would get up, give them their paperwork and they'd, they'd be off, uh, to make their deliveries. And, uh, also in the early days, as, as Gary was, was dispatching out of the Holiday Inn, uh, his wife, Mary Beth, was, was back here at the, the corporate office, of uh, which consisted of uh, about two, two offices. I know in the early days it was actually their house, but she handled all of the payroll and, and billing and HR functions, and so you know, as they say, uh, every great man there's a, there's an even greater woman that stands behind that man, and and Mary Beth was was definitely there to support Gary and, and help helped uh, greatly in the in the early days. So so that's that's pretty much how it started, and shortly thereafter, we we had a a little piece of property uh, across from Peyton's uh, there in Cleveland, and uh, set up a small shop and, and offices there, and and. Kind of the, the rest is history, so to speak. But uh, very very humble beginnings, and and, and kudos to, to Gary.
2: I wanted to add, just throw in something on that, is people talk a lot about kind of the culture of the company. And when Gary started that up, uh, that operation in Cleveland, trucks came in, he was out in the parking lot at this hotel, motel, putting license plates on the truck, putting decals on the trucks, getting them ready to go. And I think that just kind of set the tone that, you know, nobody's too good for any job. If there's something that needs to be done, pick up the ball and run with it. Uh, Nobody needs to get too excited about what their title is or what position they're in in the company. Uh, When you see something that needs to be done, do it.
0: I think those are some of the things that we probably all learned from uh, Gary Wilson and uh, look around today, the people that we work with that have been here, I think that's been passed down. You know, the work ethic uh, comes to mind, integrity. Uh, David, what are some thoughts that we've, we've learned from Gary and carried on?
2: Well, I think that's, that's the biggest thing. Gary's always, you know, impressed upon all of us that the drivers are the ones out there bringing in the revenue. The rest of us are overhead. Now what what we do and what everybody else does in the company is important, but at the end of the day, we're here as a support system to help make what the drivers do as easy as we can can make it. One kind of interesting story I think that uh, people might not know about is I had the question come up because if you see any of our corporate letterhead, it's it's blue, and people ask, well, you know, how come your trucks are red? Daniel mentioned the Cleveland startup, and we got awarded that business and not unlike a lot of other business that we've gotten awarded over the years. They wanted us to start up pretty quickly, and Gary didn't have any trucks. I mean, he had you know probably a couple handfuls of trucks in the company. Small problem. Yeah, we, we didn't have the trucks to bring in. So he talked to the different uh, truck manufacturers and had a good friend who was a Peterbilt salesman at the time, and that Peterbilt salesman, one of his large accounts, was also Averitt Express, who's located here in Middle Tennessee. And uh, Gary talked to him and said, "Hey, you know, I need some trucks. I need them in a hurry." And he said, "Well, you know, our our build schedule is out. You know, several weeks or months." And he said, "Well, you know, is there anything that you can do for for me?" And Averett had a, a group of trucks on order that had just got gotten ready, was just coming in. And the salesman talked to the owner of Averett and said, "Hey." is it okay if I use some of your trucks and we'll fill in your order later? And they agreed and that was fine. And so we took part of a shipment of trucks that was originally destined to be Averett Express trucks and used that to start up the operation in Cleveland. And by and large, our fleet has been red trucks ever since.
1: that's I, a good story I, I mean I, I've been here 20 years and I didn't actually know that's why the trucks were red and the logo <laughs> is blue so that's a
3: great great and, story and if you notice the trailers are gray as well <laughs> maybe some uh, maybe a story behind that as well uh, similar sim, similar similar story I mean that's that's how we got the trailers they were Averett, originally Averett purchased and they switched them over to first fleet well, we that's certainly
1: good. appreciate yeah. their being gracious towards us that's right that's mm-hmm. right
0: Let's talk a little bit about the growth that we've seen since those early days, how the customers have stayed the same and changed a little. Daniel, do you want to speak to that?
3: Sure. You know, I I think, you know, kind of going back to, uh, you know, some of the early things that that Gary believed in. I mean, the the, the contract carriage and the service end of it. You know, he believed that that the only thing that separated us was service. And and I believe it's service that allowed us to grow. Um, you know, at the time when we had the, the Peyton Cleveland facility, uh, Kroger pretty much had a rule that they would not have a carrier in more than one site. And they broke that rule, and we went to, to Bluffton because they, they loved the service that they were getting in Cleveland. And, um, and that was in 89. And then uh, Portland was built new in, in 1991, and, and we gained that business. And from there, we, we headed west, and uh, you know, as, as you know now, we do do uh, probably eight to ten sites for for Kroger, and uh, you know, it, it's been a, a good relationship. And then along the same lines, the McMillan Blowdell that I mentioned earlier, the the paper piece, uh, you know, we expanded with with uh, McMillan dell and took on three or four other locations, and they were eventually taken over by Warehouser. Warehouser liked what we did. We expanded with Warehouser to, to roughly 10 to, to 15 locations. They were bought out by international paper, and today we do multiple sites for, for international paper, but it was all, all driven by service. Um, the, the Flowers Baking Company, you know, 20 years ago, uh, we started with them in a, in a location over in North Carolina for four sites, and and today you know again we do you know probably upwards of 15 sites for for flowers bakery and it's all all driven by by you know service and dedicated people with focus on on making those on time deliveries
2: one thing i've always been proud of and I, when i talk to bankers or other people that are interested in talking about our company is over the years the vast majority of our growth has been from existing customers it's very easy for a salesman in our industry to go in and make promises on what they can do for you and how easy they can make your life. But our growth has come from people who have seen us. They've experienced our service day in and day out. You know, they kind of know what we're like warts and all and they still see that and they go, "Wow, you know, you've not just said you can provide service, you're doing it." And so, really, you know, kind of to piggyback off Daniel's point, a lot of the growth that we've experienced throughout the life of the company is based on the efforts and hard work of the drivers and support folks who have provided the service to our customers from day one.
1: Even some of that comes to mind as I think about you know, the West Rock business and George Pacific business and HEB business. A lot of those things were relationships based, right? And history of service that continued to prove itself out. And, um, because it's no, you know, special thanks to our drivers for always providing top notch service. And so we have the opportunity to provide additional service to new, new customers. So that's, that's an incredible blessing for us.
0: I think that makes me, uh, want to move into the driver piece of it. Absolutely. Um, we definitely have, uh, our first fleet drivers are very unique. Um, David, what are some thoughts you have on that or, or Daniel, um, Jesse, being here this week just is a reminder to me that our drivers are the driving force behind us, and everyone that I meet out in the fleets, they really all have that same strong work ethic and dedication to First Fleet, which I think is just really something to be proud of. It's special, and it's unique. Yeah, it's very special.
2: We've always had high requirements for the drivers that we hire. Uh, I think the last time I looked, the percentage is less than 10% of the people that we Receive applications on actually end up being drivers. But that's one of the things that we looked at, and I talked a little bit about it before with some of Gary's activities in the, com- in the company early on. Is we want drivers that are willing to go out there and, you know, if they need to do something a little extra for a customer, whatever it takes to, to make that job go smoothly, to make that customer satisfied, you know, our folks are, are out there doing it. And, uh, you know, can't give enough credit and enough thanks to the effort that that those folks put out on a daily basis it can be very challenging and some of the not only you know road condition but some of the people that we have to interact with can from time to time be very challenging but you know by and large our folks do it every day they do it with a smile and they do it in a way that we get a lot of compliments from our customers and from their interactions with our drivers
0: that's for sure Daniel do you want to add to that?
3: I would just say that that you know obviously the Gary, you know, knew that he had to have good people, and, and and you know, believed in the drivers, and you know, wanted to provide them with a, a a good work environment, and you know, he he believes in providing them with good equipment, which you you know, you see on the road, and and uh, you know, believed in in the drivers having you know regular home time, and 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 you know, the dedicated environment allows that, where a driver can plan his week, plan his day, and and know when he's going to be home. And and so that that allowed us to 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 hire good people. Um, he believed in the drivers, you know, being in uniforms. We provided uniforms for them the, the whole way because when they walk in the door, they want somebody that's, you know, they know who's coming through the door. They look sharp, and and uh, and again, it's just it's it's part of the, the the package, so to speak.
0: I think down in Cleveland, we have some of our drivers that are still with us that Gary Wilson hired.
3: We, we do we uh, as a matter of fact we, we just presented a four million mile award uh, to to one of them, Ronnie May, and uh, he's been with us pretty much you know from the beginning so it's, it's quite an accomplishment thirty thirty two plus years uh, to, to accomplish that award so
1: yeah if you, come, if you ever come to the corporate office walking around the hallways here, there are plaques and pictures of all the million mile two three, and now we have a four million mile driver and that is um, Really, something worth worth celebrating and calling out, just in terms of the quantity of those folks that we have. There's there's something that goes along with uh, people willing to s- stay the course, and I feel like what what uh, throughout the whole organization, uh, the the expectation on folks to present themselves professionally and to do whatever is necessary that's that's safe and ethical and legal uh, within within the bounds of what we can do to try and meet or exceed the customers' expectations and. Um, that's part of the reason I've been here for 20 years because I feel like it's everyone's pulling in the same direction. It's really, it's really an honor to be a part of it. Yeah. Okay, so especially right now, it's uncertain times. No one can tell the future for for sure, um, but we've been talking about the the history of the organization. We've gone from zero trucks to today in 2020, um, July of 2020. We have 2,912 trucks. We've got 10,872 trailers, and last week we moved. Over eighteen thousand seven hundred loads, so um, obviously the the business is is moving and growing, and a lot has changed. but when you think about the future daniel tell us tell us what you're most encouraged about
3: well i I think two things I mean I go back to something David mentioned earlier about our our customer base, and you know we're 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 pretty much hauling groceries and bread and and paper products and people people need those things and and that has has held us steady and true for you know well over thirty. 30 years going on 35 years. And um, I, I, you know, I I see that continuing and and we've been able to grow in that environment from just a few trucks to, as you just mentioned, almost 3000 trucks. And so I I think, you know, we we remain steady to that. I I think we've got to remain competitive. And and many of you have seen a a lot of things that have helped us get there, especially on the technology front, Um, you know, from, from our tractor, uh, being able to track the the loads to the trailer tracking to we're changing over to platform science now, which is the in cab device that that will do, you know is, is greatly enhanced over what we've been doing. You know you've got the first fleet app. Uh, there's just so many things from a technology standpoint that will continue to, to move us forward and 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 keep us you know what I would say lean and mean going forward. Uh, to and it's. You know, it's 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 kind of the way of the future. If you look around and 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 see all the technological things in the world, that's pretty much how it operates today. And we've got to continue uh, down that path to to you know remain competitive is is what I see.
2: One of the things that I think sets us apart and sets our customers apart is the need for outstanding service. It's one of our core values. Our customers have very high expectations of us, and one of the reasons they have high expectations of us is that their customers have very high expectations of them. Uh, I can remember when I was a kid, uh, our version of online purchasing was the Sears and Roebuck catalog, and we would find something in the Sears and Roebuck catalog that we couldn't live without, and we'd place an order for it, and sure enough, four to six weeks later, it would be there like magic. Well, it doesn't work that way anymore. Now you order online from Amazon, and if it's not there in a day or two, uh, you know, you're pitching a fit, and even that's not good enough. you got to check online at the UPS website to see exactly which UPS facility it's left and when it left there and when it's getting to the next one to make sure you know when it's coming to your house. And those kind of demands are not going to change. They're only going to get more, uh, they're going to get more demanding. Uh, people are going to expect more and more. And so people that have, Daniel mentioned the technology that we're bringing to bear. that That's huge for us. That's always been a focus uh, in our company is making sure that we have up-to-date technology so that we can provide the communications to our customers that they're wanting to get. But at the end of the day, and I go back to another saying that I've heard Gary say many times, is that people do business with people. And as long as we've got quality individuals that are giving our customers a good experience at their dock, at the back of their store, wherever we're we're meeting and dealing with them, that we're doing the right thing in our deliveries to them, that we're able to provide them with a level of service that, that exceeds the other folks that are out there on the market. I think the future is going to be nothing but bright for us. One of the other reasons that gives me optimism about the future of the company is the fact, and it's a core value of our organization, is that we embrace change. We embrace change as a reality of progress. And the fact that our organization lives that out, and we are very comfortable with not doing things the way that we did when the company was founded, embracing either, whether it's technology, whether it's equipment, whatever form that it takes, we're committed to embracing change And using that change as an an opportunity to further differentiate ourselves from our competitors.
0: Yeah, I agree, David. Um, I think our company over the years, Embracing Change, is something that for sure has been a part of our success, if nothing else. Um, Our core values uh, were created in our 30-year anniversary mark we got together we came up with our core values and that's something that will lead into maybe our next podcast review those core values and talk a little bit more about them for the people that might be new to our company that have heard the core values but don't understand truly how those came to be so i think that'd be a great podcast for future austin
1: noted we'll make sure that happens we'll wrap up this uh, edition of the podcast with some news from around the organization. A quick update on platform science. It's rolling out through the organization. I'm really grateful. I have personally had the opportunity to speak with several drivers this week with regard to opportunities to make that process better. Got some good feedback. We implemented some of those changes even this week. So keep your feedback coming. Um, you always remember in the podcast in this podcast section of the First Fleet mobile app, there's an Ask button. You can easily submit your questions um, for consideration there, and we'll try to do our best to answer those in a timely manner. All right, well, that's all we have for this week. So until next time, stay safe.